Our reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines, and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also judged Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. So this morning... As I mentioned, we're continuing our series on people of prayer. And today we pick up the story very neatly from where Jack left off uh, yes, last week. Um, so last Sunday morning, Jack was speaking about Hannah. And um, just a, a thank you to the AV team, because I wasn't here last Sunday, but I was able to listen to, to Jack's sermon. And if you haven't discovered that, it's a real uh, useful thing. You can go onto the website and, and hear the sermon. So if you've missed any of the series, then that's good. It's also the AV team that let me have the rather unnerving experience of going to my in-law's kitchen to hear myself preaching, which was 
rather strange, but, but, but it's good nonetheless. So last, last week, Han, uh, we were hearing from Jack about Hannah. Uh, and Samuel, of course, is, is the much-longed-for son of Hannah. And Hannah commemorates her prayer to God for a child in the naming of Samuel. The Hebrew root sheol means asked. Scripture tells us she called his name Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And Hannah teaches about love and dedication and determination and sacrifice. Uh, So this morning we're going to move on to look at the life of Samuel, which was quite a busy and full life. The clue that he has two books of the Bible named after him uh, could make this a very long sermon. But I've kind of squished it in a little bit. So in the passage uh, in 1 Samuel 1.24, Hannah presents Samuel to the temple or the tabernacle um, that had been established at Shiloh. And so this is the first glimpse that we get really of the character of the boy Samuel. After he was weaned, scripture tells us, Hannah took the boy with her, young as he was, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So even considering that in that time children were weaned kind of later than we might consider normal now... Samuel's probably only about two or three, so quite a small boy. And in this most heartbreakingly beautiful speech, the mother Hannah presents Samuel to Eli the priest with these words, I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life shall be given over to the Lord. The words that we speak over our children are powerful things. They shape their identity. And in these words, Hannah spoke over Samuel a promise, a prayer, a blessing. She did what many parents struggle to do. She realized that her children are not their own, but gifts from God. And that however hard we try and control and direct our children... Ultimately, ultimately, they don't really belong to us. They belong to the Lord. And so for Hannah, this wasn't just a, a symbolic release, but a physical one. I give him over to the Lord, she said, for his whole life shall be given over to the Lord. And these words really kind of set the whole tone of Samuel's life because he had a long life characterized by service dedicated to God. And as we'll see, although he stayed very close to God, and although he heard the word of the Lord very, very clearly many times, he was not spared hardship or frustration or disappointment. But one thing remained. Samuel was a man utterly given over to the Lord. His life was lavishly wasted serving the purposes of God. If we're ever tempted to believe that a life of prayerful dedication will guarantee easy passage through this life, I'm afraid that the example of Samuel will wake us from this delusion. Samuel also demonstrates that there is a reward in living a life wasted, giving over to the Lord. So we see the toddler Samuel. He's presented at the temple by his faithful mother, And what happens next takes just six words in my translation, but when I first realized the significance of them, it really hit me hard. As many of you will already know, I was not brought up um, as a Christian. I only came to faith as a teenager. So I struggled with what it means to be a Christian parent, and I struggled with what it means to parent a Christian child. It's a very interesting concept to me. And Hannah teaches me 
that giving your children over to God is the key. But what the next six words in this passage teach me is probably even more important. So Hannah gives Samuel to Eli. She prays that awesome blessing over him. And then we're told, and he worshipped the Lord there. And that's Samuel. He, Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. That two or three-year-old boy worshipped the Lord. Later in 1 Samuel, we're told that the boy Samuel ministered. That's a different word. We're told that Samuel ministered, so he, he did the kind of serving duties, the kind of work. So the fact that the word ministered is very different to the word worshipped is really significant. And the word worship means that he recognised who God was. And he responded in some way. Maybe he bowed down, or we don't know what he did. But the, the word worship that's used is to do with recognizing who God is and responding. Very interesting concept. So this toddler, barely weaned, comes into the temple and worships. We could stop right there, and I think Samuel would have already taught us quite a lot. I've been amazed by how switched on my children are to God, how open they are to his presence in their lives, how innocently and how naturally they look for his hand. I think as our children get older, we need to shape and guide that instinct, mostly to protect and nourish it, to provide opportunities for it to flourish, make sure it doesn't get squashed too much. But let's not pretend that our children, even the very tiniest, don't know God, don't hear his voice, and can't worship him. The encounter that Samuel is often most remembered for comes in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So we're told that at this point, Samuel doesn't yet know the voice of the Lord. So he recognizes who God is, but he hasn't yet heard the voice of the Lord. So when God calls him in the night, the boy is confused and he thinks it's his master Eli. And three times Samuel hears his name and three times he runs to Eli. And on the third occasion, scripture tells us, Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And I think there's a really important context here. We might think that this priest, this Samuel, um, this Eli was so switched on to the voice of the Lord that it was just an easy thing for him to do that. But the context that we're given earlier in that chapter says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. So this wasn't a normal thing. So how wonderful is it that Eli has the wisdom and the insight to realize that it's God calling Samuel? And the direction that he gives is spot on. He doesn't try and explain the experience away or to put himself in the way of the child's direct communication with God. Instead, he just calmly instructs Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The words that God spoke to Samuel that night set the tone for everything that was to follow. The Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. The first message that the Lord gave to Samuel was a really difficult one. It spoke against the sons of Eli and against Eli himself. can only begin to imagine how tough this must have been for Samuel. We read that he was afraid to tell Eli of the vision. And of course he was. This is a boy who'd known nothing but the temple as his home and Eli as his master. And now in the night, he hears the voice of God delivering a message of such uncompromising judgment against this father figure in his life. And I think this was a real test 
both for Samuel and also for Eli. At Eli's encouragement, Samuel tells all, hold nothing back. And the gracious master simply replies, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. It's really tough speaking truth to ones that we love. And even when the Lord lays messages on our hearts, do we sometimes ignore them or hide away? Do we pretend to forget or rationalize away the urgency? Surely God wouldn't use us to carry his message. Surely if it was really important, the Lord would speak more clearly or repeat his message or use somebody properly holy to transmit what he wanted to say. But remember, this is a God who spoke the whole world into being, but also whispers to a child in the night. See, he says, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. And he did. From that first whispered conversation, the Lord had Samuel's ear. We're told that the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. What an incredible childhood. Still living in the temple, Samuel was no doubt ministering and worshipping, yet he was also listening and learning to hear the voice of the Lord. We're told that at that time, Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And as a sign of God's approval and blessing on this extraordinary boy, in chapter 3, verse 21, we're told the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And you know, that's how God still reveals himself to us today, through the words that he speaks, through the words that we read in scripture, but most of all, through Jesus, the word made flesh. And so if you feel like you would like a closer relationship with God, Samuel gives us the key. He asks God to reveal himself through his word. One of the things that's been really lovely um, over the recent Alpha course has been to see God start to reveal himself to people through his word and to see people come wanting to read more of the Bible. It's a, it's a really wonderful gift that we've been given that we can meet God in this way. The next lesson that Samuel teaches us is about the purpose of a close relationship with God. So he's established a kind of close relationship with the Lord that only comes through diligent and dedicated service, study, prayer, listening to God. Samuel knew the voice of God and he received a revelation of the Lord through his word, but it was for a purpose. God takes this servant boy who he has nurtured and loved and uses him as a tool that will transform a nation. When God comes close to us, very often it is for a purpose. God's blessing is very often bigger than just for us, often overflows to those around us. Another six words in my translation, not even significant enough to merit their own verse, the beginning of chapter 4 opens with a statement that could be a declaration or it could be a threat. It says... Samuel's word came to all Israel. So we move from this boy who hears the voice of God whispering to him in tonight to a boy who, as he grows, brings the word to all Israel. God had long been silent in Israel, and the Israelites had long since stopped listening. Instead, they preferred fighting and idol worship. They were being repeatedly defeated by the Philistines, and the low point was when the Ark of God, the very presence of the Lord, was captured. 
So devastating a blow was this, that Eli, on hearing of it, fell off his chair and died. His daughter-in-law was in labor at the time, and she died in childbirth. And in her distress, she names her child Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel. These are dark times for the people of Israel. However, the Philistines quickly realized that living alongside the captured Ark of God would only bring death and destruction to them. There's quite a um, a, a very bloodthirsty and uh, interesting few passages, if you want to go back and read them, about the various uh, trials and tribulations that come upon the Philistines when they attempt to live alongside the Ark of God. So very quickly they realize this isn't a good idea, and they return the Ark to Kiriath-Jerim, to the house of Abinadab, and Abinadab's son, Eleazar, is given uh, the job of guarding the ark. So it's quite confusing. What follows in the bit of the passage that we read is 20 years where the Israelites languish under the domination of the Philistines. The ark rests in relative obscurity in in Abinadab's house. It's not really clear what Samuel is doing in this time. Maybe we presume he maintained the temple at Shiloh in the absence of Eli and his sons, but if the ark wasn't there, maybe he didn't. Maybe he he went home to Ramah. But I expect that wherever he was, he continued listening to the Lord. It really makes me wonder how the Israelites managed to get so comfortable living kind of outside the presence of God. How they got so used to not hearing his voice. And for Samuel, he just waited. There's not a lot. We just, one verse, 20 years, he just waited. We presume that he was listening to God. So there's a 20-year gap between the statement that Samuel brings God's word to the whole of Israel and Samuel actually saying anything to Israel. 20 years. It's not clear who led the people during this time. So when Samuel calls the people together at Mizpah in the reading that we heard, he doesn't have the authority of a leader. Here, Samuel challenges Israel, rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths in the service of the Lord. Maybe Samuel spent those 20 years largely forgotten like the Ark of God. You can imagine the confusion of the Israelites. Who is this man? Wasn't he the boy that lived in the tabernacle with Eli all those years ago? Didn't he hear God whispering in the night? Didn't some of our father's generation talk of him as a prophet? Samuel didn't really have a formal role for much of his life. In the early days, he was a boy, nothing more really than Eli's servant in the tabernacle. He heard the word of the Lord, and he was faithful in speaking it. But it wasn't until this moment, until after he calls the assembly of the whole of Israel, that he was recognized as their leader. So it's quite a gamble on Samuel's part, to command the whole of Israel to assemble before him and to offer to intercede with the Lord on their behalf. It kind of suggests that he really had been listening to God in all those years. He really had stayed close. He really was clear what God wanted him to do. So he leads the assembly of Israel in drawing water and pouring out as an offering to the Lord. But in that moment, he had no real status. The status followed his actions, not the other way around. Because he put himself forward, because he took the risk and called the assembly, because he called them to fast and repent, because he poured out an offering on their behalf, because of those actions, he became the leader that Israel needed, the leader that the Lord provided. Verse 6 simply says, Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mizpah. 
So in this moment, Samuel has changed from the forgotten boy in the temple to the leader of Israel. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had assembled, they planned to attack. So remember, in the 20 years before this point, they'd got used to easily beating the Israelites, and the Israelites had got used to being afraid of the Philistines. But this day was different. Because today they were being led by a boy who heard God whisper to him in the night. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Such a simple formula. And all the sermons and books and courses on prayer and intercessions, here it is. The simple example of Samuel that teaches us how to pray. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. It's a simple prayer that follows the repentance, prayer, fasting, confession of a people hungry for God's presence to return to them. It's a simple prayer prayed by a man who was a boy that knew the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. But on this day, God didn't whisper the answer into Samuel's ear. This was the day that God thundered against the Philistines. He threw them into panic and led to their destruction. Imagine what a terrible and overwhelming scene, especially for frightened people, long subdued and subjected, especially given that the voice of God had been so rarely heard. But this boy, who was used to hearing God whisper in the night, just took a stone and he set it up saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. The simplicity of this is astounding, and it reminds me of the way that Eli spoke to Samuel when he said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. I think when you know God as intimately as Samuel did, you don't need to plead with him in fancy words or complicated prayers. You just cry out. And when God answers, you're not confused or uncertain. You don't need confirmation or reassurance because you know the voice of God. You can see it when he moves. When he whispers and whether he thunders, you know him. And you know that he is God and that whatever is good in his eyes is okay with you. So you don't fight for more and you don't feel hard done by. You take a stone and you mark the place here where God has brought you. And you can say with the psalmist, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And if you know God as intimately as Samuel did, I think you can have the confidence to know that the ground that God has claimed from the enemy will never be retaken. The physical world may just see a stone on the ground, but in the spiritual realm it is clear that the one that God has chosen has interceded for his people and a line has been drawn. We're told throughout Samuel's lifetime the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. There are many, many more battles in Samuel's life. He continues to bring the word of the Lord to the Israelites. Sometimes they listened, but often they disobeyed. And Samuel's role was to intercede for them, to bring them back to the God who loved them. So what do we learn about prayer from the life of Samuel? I don't know about you, but I feel inadequate by comparison. I don't think I was born as a result of prayer or dedicated to God's service in my infancy I didn't get the chance to know God as a child or to hear him whisper to me. I know I've not always been brave enough to speak up against evil or challenge those who I love. I've been given positions of leadership, but I'm not sure I've led the people into either the kind of repentance or victory that Samuel did. 
I don't think I would have the confidence or the strength to face down an enemy as powerful as an army with just a few words, and I don't think I would trust a stone to mark my boundaries. Samuel the boy grew up to be Samuel the priest and Samuel the prophet and Samuel the judge. A worthy worthier carrier of these titles and responsibilities you would be hard-pressed to find, yet his service was insufficient and his provision was incomplete. As we leave the story of Samuel, we begin the story of the kings of Israel. And ultimately, we realize that the kings, even those that came closest to living lives given over to God, are also inadequate and insufficient. Samuel's life points us to the need for a more sufficient and all-sufficient priest. Samuel doesn't need to teach us how to pray. Samuel points us to the one who became a better priest and the most effective intercessor of all. For in Jesus, we have a prophet, a priest, and a king who lives forever to intercede for us. He is the one most intimately acquainted with God, the only one able to bring us into perfect relationship with the Father. He not only hears the word of God, he is the word of God. And when Jesus stands between us and the enemy, he does it with complete authority. When he goes into battle for us, we are assured of victory. And it's not the stone that he lays, but his word and his presence that assure us of our continued safety for as long as he lives. His voice thunders through history. It is finished. And we know that he lives and reigns forever to intercede for us. Then we are eternally secure. Let us pray. Lord God, we can imagine standing with those Israelites and feeling frightened. Lord, the challenges that we face and the fear that we feel is real. Often, Lord, we are lonely, we are unsure, we are tempted. But your word endures. Whether you whisper in the night or thunder on the battlefield, you are eternal. You hold all things together, and with you, all things are possible. So, Lord, as you teach us how to pray, as you teach us how to listen for your voice, reveal yourself more and more to us. Keep us close to you. Help us know your voice when we call, when you call, and make us quick to obey. But most of all, Lord God, would you reassure us of your presence, standing and fighting and holding the victory for us. We're so thankful, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Amen.